The Mumbrella Finance Marketing Summit is the only conference where you can hear from senior marketers from WISE, UE, HSBC, Unloan, Amex, IAG, Grapple, UniSuper, Commonwealth Superannuation, and more, sharing their insights into navigating the challenges and opportunities for finance brands and their agencies. Don't miss it. Tickets are on sale now for the June 8th event in Sydney at mumbrella.com.au forward slash finance. It's been a big week in media as Stan Grant announced his sudden departure from the ABC last Friday, later leading to staff walkouts and controversy around the broadcaster's protection of diverse journalists. Plus, a decision from the Walkley Foundation against recognising climate reporting in the Walkley Awards is set to leave an awkward legacy. Then, Adam Ferrier pops in to talk about his new side gig at Disrupt Radio before a chat with Lions Head of Core Beer Marketing, Chris Allen. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin, and joining me for the news chat today is Editorial Director Damien Francis. Hey, Damo. Callum, how are you, mate? I'm doing very well. And Shannon, our new editor for his third week in a row. Welcome. Hello, I'm back. Getting used to it by now, I presume. Yeah, loving it. I feel it's going to be a bigger week this week because, number one, hey, Shannon's actually still here after three weeks, which putting up with me and you, Cal, is uh, somewhat of a miracle. Uh, And number two, this is your final podcast, Callum, your final Mumbrella cast. And you're going to announce to the world that you are leaving to launch your own blog about children's toys. <laughs> Congratulations. I mean, as you say there, Shannon's, uh, Shannon's put up with the two of us for, for three weeks now, but the tension was just too much. So <laughs> it, yes, was it, it is my final week. I'll be leaving Mumbrella on Friday. Um, got a very exciting opportunity um, that I'm, I'm moving on to, but I think, uh, yeah, Leaving the Mumbrella cast, which has been a big part of my life for the last two and a bit years, is probably the saddest moment. And of course, leaving you guys as well. <laughs> I can't even be there to to wave you off because I've caught bloody COVID. So it's all <laughs> going to be virtual. Yeah, well, that's probably um, uh, maybe strategically planned, but that that's that's quite. All I didn't right want to say still, it. Yeah. Still be around North, kicking about North Sydney, so so that's uh, that's all right. <laughs> But enough about me. Uh, Shall we kick into our first topic? Uh, It's been, as I mentioned at the top there, it's been quite a week um, in media this week, especially at the ABC, with veteran journalist Stan Grant quitting the network and stepping away as host of Q&A. Citing relentless racial abuse he's faced, particularly after the ABC's coverage of King Charles's coronation, he said he's had enough and was left with no choice but to walk away. Shannon, you tuned into Grant's final Q&A episode on Monday night in which he left some emotional and scathing remarks about Australia's media industry. What, what did you make of that? It was very emotional. I was, I was quite touched by uh, his words at the end of the episode. He, uh, he sort of spoke to his haters uh, to start with and then spoke of the toll that this has all had on his family. But then he sort of had a very specific call out to the media and segments of the media that, that really went him hard after that uh, coronation broadcast uh, and described them as a poison of sorts uh, and, and said that, you know, he just needs a break from that. It's not the racism on social media. It's not the even necessarily the threats against him and his family, but it's the media that he needs a break from. 
we've we've seen um articles of course from the sections of the media which uh, grant i guess not so subtly was pointed at the australian uh, ha- wrote an editorial this morning taxpayer funded abc has let stand down uh, and its audience too uh, but true to form tries to pin the blame on others that's the headline of the editorial on the australian now we actually um grant of course, his decision has sparked a wider conversation about the ABC's protection of diverse journalists. You know, we've seen the likes of Osman Faruqi writing in the Sydney Morning Herald about it as the network denied allegations that it um, sort of tried to uh, distance itself from a report into abuse endured by minority background journalist Shannon, which he wrote this morning, sorry, this morning, this week from Umbrella. So, Damo, Grant's decision sparked a wider conversation around the ABC's protection of diverse journalists. We have the likes of uh, Osman Faruqi in the SMH writing about it this week as the network denied allegations that it tried to distance itself from a report into the abuse endured by minority background journalists, as reported uh, on Mumbrella this week. Damo, in your opinion, do you think the, the ABC has done enough? No, look, the ABC hasn't done enough but it would be unfair to uh, just lay blame on the ABC itself. This is an industry-wide, this is a, a society-wide uh, issue. Uh, and essentially, we, we don't know what we don't know as well. We know we have in Australia challenges around racism in particular. Obviously, those challenges go far further when it comes to the complete field of, of diversity, equity, inclusion. But if we're just talking about racism at the moment, we've known this for for decades. I mean, as a as a Singaporean growing up in Australia in the 80s and 90s, the type of racism that I dealt with at school, which was kind of just like the the norm, you dealt with it, par for the course, which today would be completely unacceptable, like out of this world unacceptable. But back in those days, that was the norm and you, we slowly grew our knowledge of what was right and not right and acceptable in a, in a heavily multicultural country. Uh, so did the ABC act uh, in, it, in the best way it could have? No, it, it didn't. Did it know how it, it should have? Uh, possibly it does now or it knows better. Um, but it's unfortunately one of those things where we're going to learn a lot through mistakes at the moment. And I think if anyone suggest that it wasn't a mistake how that was handled, uh, then they really have to have a good hard look at the, the current situation and uh, I guess the sensitivities uh, around that as well. The one thing that I'm extremely happy about is hearing Stan suggest that he'll be back soon. You know, he needs a break. He needs to step away. He's such a good role model uh, and such a good speaker for diversity in Australia, we need him back. Uh, good, go and take the break, recuperate. ABC, have a good hard think about you know how it's a public broadcaster, how you're dealing with it, but also every other bloody business in Australia, have a good hard think about it yourself because you know this is one of those things where it could be you tomorrow, it could be you. How are you going to deal with them? That's just the reality of the situation at the moment. We need to learn very, very quickly with these things. And we will be covering this in a bit more detail as well uh, at the weekend, the weekend mumbo, which now you can find on our website as soon as it comes out as well.
moving on to our next topic, which stays within the media sphere. Uh, an interesting opinion piece written by Combs Declare, founder and former journalist Belinda Noble, hit Mumbrella's website on Monday uh, about the Walkley Foundation's decision to not recognise climate re- reporting for the prestigious Walkley Awards, Australia's premier journalism awards. Uh, Shannon, the Walkley Foundation is sponsored by petroleum and oil company Ampol. And so the decision appears to have left a, a little bit of an understandable bit of taste in quite a few people's mouths this week. Can you give us a quick rundown on the situation, where it sits now and, and what we might see next? Yeah. I mean, Belinda's op-ed is fascinating. And if you haven't read it, uh, I, I strongly suggest that you jump on and read it because it's a bit of a history lesson to start with as well that plots the the very start of the Walkley Awards and the Walkley Foundation in Australia, uh, which from the very beginning was leaked to Ampol. Uh, there's some suggestion that that the Walkley Awards were a way of kind of controlling the narrative around uh, oil and gas exploration in Australia at its in its very infancy. Um, so that's quite fascinating. But her piece really details how you know this is quite an awkward legacy that the Walkleys have now um, after conducting wide consultation with journalists and other stakeholders about what awards they should and shouldn't have. Uh, in their in their um, in this year's categories and, and next year's categories, and there was a really concerted push uh, to include climate and or the environment. Uh, I think regardless of what kind of reporting you do, the climate is kind of the biggest story of this generation and the most important story. And despite all of the, that uh, consultation and all of those submissions, they've decided not to include climate and or the environment. Uh, that's very disappointing for a number of reasons, but I think its sponsorship by Ampol uh, is probably the biggest one. Um, cynics can see a link between the two. Optimists would hope that it's just a coincidence. Uh, I'm probably in the former camp, I have to say. And for an award as prestigious as the Walkleys, one that journalists admire and, and aspire to win, um, I think this this is really, uh, it's, it's poor optics to say the least. Up next, a chat with Adam Ferrier on his decision to join new media startup Disrupt Radio. Welcome back to the podcast, Adam Ferrier. G'day. So uh, the big news this morning is that you're joining the new Melbourne-based radio station Disrupt Radio as a breakfast host alongside Libby Gore on Wednesdays and Thursdays between 7 and 9 a.m. First of all, Tell us a little bit about how this opportunity came about and why you are, uh, at this point of your career, getting into radio. <laughs> I, um, I'm excited by it. I like the radio as a medium. I have spent a lot of time as, on, as a guest on other people's shows, and I was a guest on uh, Libby's show on the ABC a number of times, and that's how I got to know Libby. Um, and uh, so... I've known her for years and she's lovely and we uh, click. And so she's asked me to be um, a guest host on her show, but it is her show. It's um, Enterprise Breakfast. And so that's that. Um, I have done some radio before. I've had stints here and there and, I, you know, it's, it's good fun. In fact, um, this is something that people, nobody would know, but I, I used to have a talkback psychology program with a mate of mine who was also a psychologist called Feel Good to the Max. My name at the time was Max, 
my friend's name was Stephen Feelgood, and we used to talk about psychological issues. And so every every week we'd have a very have a psychological issue we'd talk about, and then the playlist would would match that psychological issue. So what this do you mean on. your name was Max? Uh, I changed my name to Max by Deepol after reading a book called Existential Psychotherapy, which spoke about not accepting the boundaries and put on to you by others. And so I never liked my name, Adam. And so I changed my name to Max. And so for about five years there, I was, I was Max. Wow. Maybe this could be a, a special side character on the show. Um, <laughs> Bring back Max. Was, it could. But I, what I found out is that Max and Adam are actually pretty similar. So nothing dramatic changed when I changed my name to Max, except for having a good name for this radio show that was on 2MCE in Bathurst. Um, and so, yeah, there you go. There you go. So you've, you've got a pretty good rapport with Libby. You don't need any uh, chemistry sessions or not. I know you, you said in your quote this morning you were there for a bit of uh, for the ear candy only, but uh, you're, you're certainly going to still be bringing your own spin though, right? Yeah, I um, I've always liked talk radio. I've always liked listening to to people discuss issues. Um, and most of the talk, if not all of the talk in Australia, apart from maybe the ABC, um, is centrist to extreme right wing crap. So it, it will be nice to be part of a talk based format that's um, a little bit progressive maybe and um, and entrepreneurial in nature. And you're going to be obviously um, having slightly earlier starts. How, how are you going to go with that? I live with a five-year-old at the moment. I'm, I'm used to bloody early starts as it is at the moment. And it is only two mornings a week. And so I'll... Um, I, I'll You'll just deal I'll with okay. it. Yeah, I'll deal with it. So you sort of you sort of spoke a little bit um, there about I guess a little bit of a, a leaning of the of the content. How is how how is the I guess um, the show's structure going to play out? And I guess how will you be approaching news topics day to day? Yeah, the show's the show's called um, Enterprise Breakfast. It's looking at it'll be looking at the current issues, but through a business lens if you like but business being more around entrepreneurialism making the most out of out of what you've got i find what's interesting is work life and personal life is so blended now for for a certain section of the community so um i'll just come at it through what i know which is kind of marketing and brands and um and and creativity and that kind of thing and then we'll just talk about the issues of the day and I'll, I'll just bring what I can to, through, through that lens. Is this um, a sort of test run of sorts for the eventual Adman 1-2 breakfast show host with Russell Howcroft? Yeah, I think so. I think I should be <laughs> outrating him within a day or two. No, I, I don't think so. I think Russ is very, 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 very good at what he does. And I, I think through our W's a powerhouse in Melbourne. But I, I, one of the things I do enjoy about this, it'll be across... Um, to start off with Sydney, uh, Brisbane and Melbourne um, and uh, Russell's a mate, so I'm, hopefully he can help promote our show. Well, you're, you're, you won't be far from each other, but um, just before we let you go, Adam, give us your, your quick one-line sell on Disrupt as a, as a channel uh, If for those that I guess haven't heard of it ahead of its launch next month. 
um, is filling a niche between for entrepreneurial progressive thinkers and those who kind of uh, want to have a crack and um, get shit done. <laughs> there you go. Adam Ferrier, thanks for joining us. Good on you, mate. Coming up after the break, a chat with Lions Head of Core Beer Marketing, Chris Allen. Chris Allen, Head of Marketing for Core Beer at Lion. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. We are, we are in like the bunker of mm, Thinkerbell yeah. at, at the moment. There's a, a little bit of noise and action outside for uh, Monday. Anyone who doesn't think people work on Mondays in the office, I've got news for them. They do at Thinkerbell. They sure do. Um, <laughs> and as a result, we're, we're here in the bunker to try and get the noise uh, suppressed. But if you do hear anything in the background, that's probably because of the action of a creative agency in full force. But that's not what we're here to talk about, Chris. We're here to talk about Lion and in particular Tui's because recently uh, Tui's has brought back the famous jingle, I feel like, a Tui's. Now, it's really familiar for someone like me, grew up in Australia, 80s, 90s, noughties, mm. all that sort of stuff. As soon as you hear it, you know what's going on. But uh, first of all, for those who don't know it or maybe this is their first experience of it, can you tell us a bit about the jingle and, and the history and, and its its purpose for Tui's? Yeah, absolutely. So so Tui's as a brand has been around since 1869, so 150 plus years. Um, you know, and it's had many iterations of connections and advertising in that point uh, or across that journey. But really the 80s was where the brand took off and where many, like you and I, kind yep. of remember the jingle. But um, so the jingle was developed by Mojo you know, icons in, in advertising. Um, and uh, through the 80s, they came up with a bunch of jingles across beer, across various different industries, right? And I think those jingles really, you know, reflected a point in time of Australian culture, which was shifting and, and moving towards a far more uh, progressive uh, way to advertise as well. So the 80s really defined... Um, Tui's and, and the How Do You Feel jingle. Um, we kind of lost it at the turn of the century um, and we've kind of played with it in, in, in parts, but we really wanted to bring it back this year um, because the brand deserves that kind of continued legacy. Um, but also we really wanted to take the opportunity to work with um, Alan Johnson, yep. who really was you know, half of that mojo um, partnership and and you know we we really love the experience to to go back and work with him and, and figure out how do we transform the jingle for today and where consumers are um, and where Tui's is at, at today. So that's been a really exciting part of the journey as well. Yeah, great. That, let's talk about that. Where the consumer is today, where Tui's is today. Um, I'm a beer drinker, but I certainly wouldn't say I'm a particular expert in in beer drinking. As most people will know, I'm, I'm one and done pretty much. But um, it's a crowded market uh, at the moment uh, across really big well-known established brands, new players in the mm, market, mm. batch brewers, indie brands, totally. yep. all arguing for, for shelf space, right? And you just alluded to it, to his heritage, yep. and it's a long heritage. How does a traditional brand like Tui's compete in the face of all these new brands, some of which are in the Lion's Stable? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the privileges of my job is I get to work on these heritage brands, which have you know 150 plus years of history. And I think that is pretty envious. You can work on some brands which are new and, and exciting, but you know you want that brand to be there 150 years from now. And 
one of my challenges is a custodian of, of a brand like Tui's and how do you set it up for the future? I think beer is, has changed so rapidly, probably in the last three to five years, but even the last decade, really, and maybe the last 20 years, in just the terms, the, the number of brands that are out there um, and the nuf, number of beer styles that are even present. But what's kind of been um, really remarkable is, you know, brands like Tui's, brands like Forex, they're still relevant and they continue to be relevant to emerging drinkers as well as drinkers who have been, you know, drinking beer for, for decades. Um, and I think that's what's really exciting is watching um, the industry change and adapt and evolve to where consumers are, but also the strength of a brand like Tui's to still connect today. That's what's really exciting for us at Lion to think about our stable of brands. And we've got powerhouse legacy heritage brands, but also able to innovate and create new brands that meet consumers where, where they are today and where they'll be tomorrow. Yeah, and I guess one of the challenges must be within a business like Lion, where you've got so many different brands and they represent different things. How do you ensure that there's that separation between brands that, that Tui's is Tui's and, and you know what it stands for. You, you know who's going to be drinking it. Uh, you know who might be uh, drinking Furphy or something like that. And, you know, you've got your, I guess you've got your different core audiences mm. for each brand. How do you ensure that there's that separation and, and differentiation or does that even matter mm. as much anymore? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it matters as much anymore. And I think there is no typical drinker. You know, there is no typical beer lover. And um, when we, if anyone in the industry thinks that way, you're going to pretty much put your, your brand where it doesn't need to be. And I think that's what we've seen with brands like Forex and Tui's and, you know, even brands like Bogues in Tasmania. You know, brands that people maybe think, oh, they're a little on the, on the shelf. You know, they've been, been there for a number of years. And we're seeing, in fact, younger drinkers find them just as appealing as people who are 60 plus because they talk to some of the most honest values that we have in our society because they have been around for so long. That's what our country's been built on. And I think that's what's really been rich in tapping into with the Tui story to look at what's made that brand great and realise some of those ingredients are still so important to consumers today. So there's Tui's drinker. Yeah, there's probably a little bit. You can you know talk about demographics and where that consumer lives and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the brand is still built on those 1980s values or earlier um, and it's finding a new way to uh, communicate that proposition. So consumers, whether they're 22 or 45, are going, that's a, that's a brand I love, I know well, I've heard of, but I actually really want to pick up and, and try a schooner anew at the pub on Friday. Is there, a, um, is there a sort of retro thing going on with alcohol like there is, say, in music with vinyl or in fashion with like that secular nature of fashion? Are we seeing like a younger demographic looking back to those established brands whether it's Tui's or the other competitors mm. in market that have been around for, for decades yeah is there a, a sort of a willingness to to try them out yeah i think so i, I think there's a, a a bit of a balance of um, generational shifts and what may be seen as a little older actually being like the new thing for a younger generation coming through but i think there's also a bit of a leveling out of that so I don't think brands are necessarily speaking to certain age groups anymore. And in fact, to connect in culture, you have to be almost at the forefront of where consumers are. And as we've seen post-COVID, it's just so rapid. So it's no longer 60 plus um, being a bit archaic and not knowing how to keep up with trends. It's actually like they're finding ways to modernize and become more relevant even in their own social circles. So I think it's a bit of a blend. I think um, for those who are 
maybe leaning into nostalgia and retro as a as a way to be cool again. You know, we'll absolutely have twoies happy to be part of that. Um, but we're not necessarily looking at it going, how do we how do we appeal to that younger generation? If anything, with twoies, we're saying it's all about lapsed drinkers. It's all about people who have actually had a twoies or know what that brand is and just opening the door once more and saying, hey, we're still here. We're just as good as ever. And in fact, you know, we're, we're really relevant today. Yeah, great. Now let's talk about how, how you actually do that, how you communicate to that audience. Uh, when agencies like Think of Old, for example, send across the, the campaign material, generally speaking, what we get as the trade media is the hero stuff, the TVC. It's always about the TVC. Uh, and we've seen that with the, with the latest campaign for, for two years. The, the footy version and then the drummer, mm-hmm. um, the band. Uh, what is uh, or how are you seeing uh, that consumer connection in terms of your strategy and the mediums that you're using? Uh, what are you leveraging? Where do you see the best connection for a brand like Tui's and I guess in more general terms, other lion brands? Yeah, so I think talking to Tui's specifically, so, you know, its positioning is all around teamwork. It's always been about celebrating teamwork, not just about winning, but you know that that feeling of being part of something and actually celebrating together. So in the eighties, it was very sport heavy, um, and you know we've we've still got a sports spot today, and we're very much sport is part of our DNA. But we recognise the world's moved on as well, so we wanted to evolve and and show that the brand is relevant to more occasions. So drummer is a perfect example of that, and and modernising the brand. Um, but beyond kind of TV and those kind of assets, right? We teamwork, for example, on Tui's can stretch into so many different spaces. Now we have the the mighty New South Wales Blues. We're proud sponsors of that team. So this upcoming State of Origin will be a great example of where we start to stretch. How do you feel as a brand idea into so many different spaces? But then also being a beer brand, we've got things like signage at pubs. We've got our packaging, which is you know the most important touch point, if we're honest. And we really we modernise that this year as well. So you start to stretch into far more spaces. And we often talk about within the line framework, our connections model and how do we actually really connect with consumers where they are and where they're going to be. And traditional media is always going to play a role, but we need to find ways to cut through and connect in new and, and exciting ways. Um, and with Thinkabell and, and our other agency partners, it was we're thinking about that. So it's how do we do you know, the 70%? How do we do the 20%? And what are those 10% ideas? And how do we make sure that on our briefs, we're, we're really encouraging that level of creativity um, and, getting, and getting those connection opportunities um, front and centre as part of the creative process? Now, you mentioned it before with COVID, sort of changing the game mm. a bit in terms of the consumer, you know, the press hasn't uh, hasn't been able to escape either. But tell me from a, a consumer brand perspective, especially when you think of the media mix for uh, for your campaigns, how has that evolved since uh, you know the, the pandemic and then the easing off of restrictions? Now you go to a pub and it's mainly you know happy days again, but. Have you had to relook at, at where you're spending and how you're spending? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think every every company has had to rethink pretty much everything since COVID, whether it was through COVID or post COVID. And I think what I'm uh, I'm really excited about is trying to understand where consumers have evolved to and the behaviours that have changed. And so when we talk about the pub, for example, that environment is very different to what it was pre-COVID. And obviously through COVID, there was no pub. So, you know, we're really supportive of getting that industry back to where it was and actually thriving moving forward. 
But then it's also opened up new conversations with our customers around, okay, what what does that consumer environment look like for you? And what do you want to do that's different? And it's kind of shaken up the way that all these different environments are starting to evolve. Um, And also with the rise of digital, the rise of technology, we're starting to see that there's actually far more interesting ways to actually create the same experience and whether that's impacting a few in an environment or actually amplifying that out and, and, and allowing everyone to be part of the conversation. So I think, you know, bringing it back to TUIs, even as we look at the, the year to go and look at origin and then beyond, it's not just do the same kind of assets in our mix, but actually create what we can and leverage what is created out of COVID to connect in a different way. And I think that's where, whether it's in our industry, in our business or, or more broadly within marketing, that we start to go, how do we really take advantage of what's changed rather than look at that time in our lives in a, in a um, negative way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me just touch on that, that, that sports sort of discussion. And a bit. you mentioned it before, the Blues, mm. you know, strong sponsorship there. Um, we've seen, a, I guess, a change in uh, the types of sports that are pushing themselves uh, at the moment. There's a, uh, a big kind of push from, from women's sports, yep. for example, uh, there's a few tier two sports that are, are making a big push to, to become tier one sports. The way that we view sports has changed as well. A little bit of a, a micro discussion on that one, but how do you uh, assess those opportunities outside of uh, outside of, of union, for example? Like, would you look at other opportunities there to have similar, uh, I guess, uh, partnerships? with different uh, sporting leagues or maybe ones that we haven't heard as much from before? Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting. So beer and sport has always gone hand in hand. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's it's part of the fabric of the country, but also part of the fabric of how our organisation is, you know, been the big um, line brand that it is today. But I think what we're looking to do more and more is actually broaden the types of partners we're working with because no longer is sport the only connection point for, for the beer drinking population. Um, and in fact, even the codes we're very anchored into have s- incredibly um, diversified and evolved. So a look at the likes of the NRL and the AFL and what they're doing with their own organisations within their own codes. And as a big you know, sponsor of teams or of the code, we want to make sure that we're being far more inclusive, um, far more progressive in how we structure our deals and actually how we leverage those properties and those partners. Um, and I think that's a really important thing, not just with what we've got, but then, as you say, looking at what's emerging and where people are gravitating towards for teamwork. So that's why for TUIs, the big unlock is not just about sport. It's about how people come together and celebrate as a team or as a, as a group and a collective. And that's what having a beer is all about, is like sitting down with the ones that matter most to you um, and catching up and, and, and having a conversation. So I think Furphy is a really great example within our own wheelhouse where um, through partnering with some great AFL teams, we also sponsor the female teams that are emerging. Um, and that's a big part of why we do AFL, is because we recognise that it is one of the fastest growing sports in the country mm. and a superb um, inclusion and diversity policy at the heart of that. And we, we truly want to support that as well. Yeah, I'm going to touch on Furphy a little bit later mm. on in terms of uh, some of the creative we've seen, again, out of uh, Thinkabell. Um But one thing I did want to, while we're sort of talking about sport, one thing I did want to touch on as well is um, I guess there's a, there's a fair bit of um, sensitivity around alcohol advertising at the moment, as there are a few other things, whether it's 
betting and wagering or cryptocurrencies, yep. etc. Yep. Um, how do you approach that in terms of your considerations for your marketing strategy? Yeah, I think it's a that's a great question, and um, you know, we we absolutely respect this conversation and 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 recognize it's it's part of the cultural convo right now. So the best thing we can do is really try and reflect where society is at and evolve with it. Um, and I think we're doing a really good job at that. Um, and I think, you know, what I love about the conversation is people are voicing their opinions and actually being heard. And I think that allows us then to go, okay, what do we need to do differently? Um, but also how do we make sure that we're still, you know, connecting in the right way? Um, so sport, as I said, is a big part of um, some of our brand's DNA and also part of their positioning and, and their strategy. But it's, it's then how do we communicate it in a way that reflects where culture and society is today, not necessarily what it's been known for um, 20, 30 plus years ago. Uh, now, I mentioned I'd sort of touch on Furphy a, a little bit, uh, and it kind of relates back to when uh, Lion decided to consolidate creative with, with Thinkabell uh, uh, almost a couple of years mm. ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the quotes I wanted to run by you, Chris, was uh, from Anuba Sasharude, who's now your chief growth uh, officer, uh, yep. uh, I believe. And, and she said in the story that we ran, and I quote, Australian culture is evolving and the beer category needs to better understand and reflect those changes. To connect with the next generation of drinkers, we need to redefine the role our brands play in their lives and we believe Thinkabell is the right partner to have along with us on that journey. So we're, we're almost two years uh, mm, along that mm. that journey, uh, as such, um, how has Lion evolved mm. its way of connecting, particularly with Thinkabell at the moment? Yeah, uh, and you know, it has been a journey. It mm. has been a journey, and I think it takes um, it's two sides of that coin a little bit. So Lion had to evolve too. Mm. We were going through a big transformation around what does marketing at Lion look like? What do our brands stand for? And which brands are best set for success moving forward? And um, you know, Thinkabell's been a superb addition to that, right? In terms of having a partner who wanted to transform with us, but also has really demonstrated that through the work. Um, you know, I couldn't be prouder of things across Furphy, things across Harm, across Tui's, but also brands like Forex. And that's probably the best example where we literally have taken it from, um, you know, a big known brand that was probably lost its way a little and struggling to find relevance to delivering a new brand platform with new communications off the back of it. Um, which truly are connecting with with its its core audience, and particularly up in Queensland, we're seeing the brand bounce back like never before. And I think I'm really excited about not just the work we've done, but also the work coming up as demonstration of what this partnership and almost a marriage we've built with Thinkabell that we're that we're, we're not even giving them briefs anymore. They're just coming to us, going, "This is what we've got to do. We know the brand. We absolutely know the the consumer, and this is how we can connect." And then that just allows us to have a lot more time instead of the meetings of here's my brief, give me a response in a couple of weeks. We're on the fly thinking of things um, and connecting in truly different ways that I probably never thought was possible on the brand. So um, I'm really excited about what's to come as well. Um, but it's been a superb couple of years and it, and it does take time. It's not going to happen mm. overnight yep. all the time and different brands are at different stages. But as an Uber, you know, really helped us set out on that journey um, now we're all on the bus and it's all about continuing to head in the right direction and keep winning. So, Yeah, speaking of buses, the Furphy mm-hmm. thing with the truck part. Yeah, I should have uh, used the truck as the analogy. the truck analogy. What better. were you thinking? You're off brand. Yeah. <laughs> um, let, me, 
let me challenge you on that one in, in terms of now that was that was a, a, a crazy weird uh, yeah. execution which we probably are not shocked to see from an agency like Thinkabell, uh, but it was for Furphy. Mm. Can you ever see that sort of thinking, that sort of crazy idea um, run out across some of your more established brands, like you mentioned, like Therese Han, maybe even Forex, something like that. Um, does that, I guess, uh, pushing the, the boundary sort of idea, will that extend to the rest of the brands? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, short answer, yeah, it will, absolutely. I think Furphy is a special brand for us and a special brand for Thinkabell too in that you know, we, we've really co-created what that brand can be and it's got a lot of flex and obviously Furphy is the name. It allows you to have a bit of play and a little bit of um, fun with it. I think um, across the portfolio, we are always going to have a, have a need to have a bit of a blend, right? A bit of what is our traditional big reach, you know, uh, dedicated communication we're paying for to, to connect and, and make sure our brands and messages are being seen and heard and being salient. But then we need to find ways to connect in culturally exciting ways, things that actually get people talking about us differently. And I think a, a partner like Thinkabell pushes us to get there. And really in their wheelhouse, is, they've shown that they can do everything that we ask of them. It's just then, you know, being open as a client to also go, that makes me a little nervous. And there's some stuff I'm working on at the moment I'm, I'm a little nervous about. And I go, that's the only way we're going to actually break through and push these brands forward. The other thing for Line is where, you know, what I'm really lucky as a marketer is we own our brands and we get to actually work on these brands from A to Z. And so having that permission and freedom allows us to give really exciting briefs to an agency who can then come back and say, what about this? It's not just a brief saying, can you go and put a truck into a laneway and get people talking about it? We're going, hey, this is our challenge on Furphy. This is come into our office, understand what the challenges are, and then let's solve these problems creatively and, and unlock new opportunities and areas for growth. So I think that is a really exciting opportunity that we have with our business um, and our partners, but you know, to start pushing the envelope a little more so that beer and advertising isn't just your big 90 second spot, because let's be honest, 90 second spots aren't seeing much airtime these days. So if anything, it's shorter form, it's more dynamic, and it's actually thinking about ideas which get people talking, get people sharing, rather than us just putting out TV ad that, that used to work in the early 2000s. So no five minute epics like uh, CG. I always see, <laughs> I'm always told that there's one coming, but um, I try and I'd probably the uh, efficient marketer in me puts an end to most of those. But you know, the other thing is, with the way things are going, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a, a way that long form comes back. And I think cinema has been a really interesting landscape for mm. that over the last few years. And um, I think it's going to all be driven by the consumer. I don't think us marketers or advertisers can really define that. I think it's going to be led by the consumer. So never say never. So I'm going to end on a couple of questions that kind of relate to the, the consumer in, in slightly different ways. The first one, you've had a couple of, and I say you, but Beer in general. Mm, yeah. I can stand for all the beer if you want. You can stand for yeah, all the beer. That's what I yeah. expected right. that, yeah, that yeah, you yeah. speak on behalf yeah. of all beer. Totally. <laughs> uh, so it's had a couple of challenges, kind of direct challenges. Number one, uh, from brands like Canadian Club who will do mm. the, you know, tired of beer, here's, here's an option, right? But also then from the non-alcoholic beers like Heaps Normal, etc., who are, you know, presenting themselves as you know, the better option or a different option, don't need to buy the beer. Anymore. How are you seeing that sort of competition now, that sort of fresh wave 
of, of competition. Um, and I guess, what are you doing to ensure that the beer brands within Lions stand above it? Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Obviously, one we've tackled ourselves. I think the first thing is, it's pretty flattering when, when other industries try and come and take some of your lunch um, and fair play. I actually think it's great. I think it makes our industry work harder and think differently. Um, so I think that's really exciting. And then I think it just reflects again that you can't expect the consumer to not change. Mm. And what it reflects is that consumers' taste profiles are changing, their occasions of drinking are, are changing, and just their behaviours around choice. Like, it's, and, and I don't think beer is um, immune or, or kind of in its own right on this. I mean, you walk down the grocery aisle and you look at the um, better for you section, you know, gluten-free didn't even have a bay and now it's got a whole aisle. Mm. And you just think the way that consumers and how we're exposed to more information than ever um, and, and there's just an array of fragmentation in terms of any industry, it just makes the, the incumbents actually think more differently and be more dynamic. So even within our own portfolio where we've stretched and actually said, you know what, we're not just a beer company, you know, we're a sociability company at the heart of it and we're actually about offering the right beverages to meet where consumers are. And that can be beer, it can be seltzer, um, can be spirits. And I think that's really exciting to go, you know, how do we actually operate as an as industry leader and not just a beer company and actually go, everyone has a right to play. And in fact, having more choice allows our customers and consumers to determine what they like. And if we kind of talk about, you know, earlier in this chat, a lot of them actually come back to the brands that they know and love because they trust the quality, they, they know what the brand stands for, and it's really ridden out not just periods like COVID, but you know, decades, if not centuries, mm. of, of Australian culture. And I think that's where, as an industry and even as a beer company and, or a sociability company, we can go, how do we just make sure that our brands continue to thrive in today and absolutely we're set up for tomorrow? Yeah, and look, a, a good question to end on then, being that you've just mentioned choice, because within the beer category, as we sort of discussed right at the beginning of this uh, interview, there's a lot of choice mm. at the moment, mm. huge amount of beers in market, depending on the pub you go to or the bottle shop you go to, mm -hmm. you know, there could be just like hundreds <laughs> of selections. It's a bit overwhelming. It's a little bit overwhelming, yeah, right? It. it is yeah. a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. Like, yeah. um. You know, Lion, uh, forgive me, a Lion is a massive culprit in this. You've got a lot of brands. Um, uh, is there such thing, and we've talked about this across many different industries, it's not just alcoholic beverages, wine, beer, spirits, etc. but is there such thing as too many brands? Mm. And what sort of challenge does having so many brands pose to a marketer like yourself? Yeah, well, I think the first answer, Damien, is if you walk into a pub and you see a, a heap of um, taps and What's, what are you going to choose? Just choose a line one, mate. You're not going to go wrong. So that's the first answer there. Shameless think, plug. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that. So I think, no, you're right. And look, even as a consumer myself, right, I, I, I walk in, I go, oh, there's so much. And I think at first it, it, it is overwhelming. But what it does is it also allows people to have choice, which is so important in culture today. And society reflects that. There wouldn't be so many if there wasn't a need for them. But it also then, what we're seeing is people actually tend to gravitate to I guess, a repertoire of a set number. Now that repertoire has changed. Beer used to be four brands on tap and you just had certain ones and now you, it's far you know, broader than that. But what it's about is about being in as many repertoires as you can and having the right mix within a brand family or a business um, that caters to the different needs. Now, not everyone even wants a beer. 
we get that. We understand that. And that's totally fine. It's actually then about going, okay, well, what, what are you interested in and, and why? And how do we best connect with you on that? So I think from a beer perspective and, and within my own world, I go, more choice is good. Choice is great for the consumer. And it also means that our brands can diversify and optimize and actually evolve. Um, if there was no change in the landscape, I'd always have to just have the same brands that were there 40 years ago. Um, so we actually can go, what are the strong trademarks? What are the big master brands that can carry innovation and stretch? And then allow ourselves to go, actually, where's white space that our portfolio doesn't deliver to? And let's create something that's for consumers tomorrow. Well, Chris Allen, Head of Marketing for Court Beer at Lion. Thank you so much for being on the Umbrella Cast. Absolutely. And that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining me on my personal last episode. Thanks to everyone that's listened and been a guest and whoever I've spoken to over the last few years. It's been a pleasure. Uh, but for now, throw us a follow or subscribe if you're enjoying. Cal, just on the behalf of Mumbrella, we would like to massively thank you for the enormous input over the last two plus years that you've spent with us. Huge breakers, big stories. Uh, we love you. We'll definitely be following your journey. We're still very good friends with you. And you just knock on the door when you're ready to come back. Uh, I expect this a month, two months, something like that. Doors always open. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> <laughs>